The object of your worship determines who you will become. The object of your worship determines who you will become. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. I'm excited that you're here for the start of our brand new series called Rise of the King. This is the last series in our journey through Matthew that we are getting closer to the end. This is when we prepare our hearts and our minds for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the last week of Jesus's time on earth. And as we approach this time, there is a an account that happens in every gospel. It's a sweet encounter with Jesus. Starting in verse 6 of Matthew 26, it says, And when Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head, and as he sat at the table... But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial." Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. The first thing that we observe about this woman is that she was a worshiper. She loved Jesus. We find her at the feet of Jesus. She followed him. She was a a learner. In a chapter where there's so much tension and negativity. We, we start this chapter by, by seeing how the, the Pharisees and Caiaphas are scheming to have Jesus arrested and murdered. Jesus even predicts that right after Passover, he would be crucified. We see at the end of this chapter where Judas betrays Jesus, Peter denies Jesus. So right in the middle, we have where Matthew sets forward this beautiful moment where Mary is so devoted to Jesus, so in love with Jesus that she expresses an extravagant worship for her Lord. And so as we look to her as an example, I wanna wanna encourage us to, to be more passionate in our worship. But to do that, we have to understand biblically why we worship. So I want us to look at this account, look at Mary's life, and I want us to answer four questions surrounding this story. The first question is, why did she worship? Why did Mary worship Jesus in such a a demonstrative way? First, it was her faith in Christ. She believed, no doubt, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the King of kings and Lord of lords. She had faith and trust in Jesus that he was who he said he was. The second reason why she worshiped Jesus in such an extravagant way was that she had a lot of gratitude in her heart. Many scholars believe that Simon, the host of this home where Jesus was at, was the father of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. So imagine Mary witnessing her brother who was in the tomb and Jesus raised him from the dead. Imagine the gratitude that she had in her heart after this powerful healing and resurrection. 
But also in her own life, she had her own demons that she was fighting. She had strongholds in her life that Jesus healed and delivered her from. No doubt she had much great gratitude in her heart for what Jesus had done in her life and in her family. And so when you think about worship, it's important for you to remember who God is. Remember that he put air in your lungs. Remember that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Remember that it is God who has saved you, God who has delivered you, God who has promised that he would come back for you. So when you think of worship, you think of why you worship, be grateful for what God has done in your life. How many of you are grateful for the blessings that God has done in your life? It's just, our hearts should just overflow with gratitude and love and devotion to Jesus when we have opportunity to worship him in our private secret place, but when we come together in a small group, when we come together as a church family on Sunday morning, we should express our worship because of great gratitude and faith in God. The second question I want us to answer is, who did she worship? Who did she worship? Because there was a lot of people in that room. In that small house in Bethany, there was the host, there was her dad, Simon. There was, there was some of the disciples, right? There was Lazarus. I mean, he was on borrowed time. It could, she could have given her extra time to Lazarus, but there was one person that she bowed down, one person that she poured perfume on, and that was Jesus. Hebrews says to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. A lot of times we run into problems in life because we don't fix our eyes upon Jesus, but rather we fix our eyes on the problem. And we go through a trial, we go through a difficulty, and we obsess and we focus on that problem. If you've ever gone trail running or if you've ever mountain biked in the woods and you're on a trail, if you see a rock or a root and you fix your eyes on it, you're going to hit it. That's why it's important to look where you want to go. Find a clean path, a, a line, and follow it. Look at it. Because if you look at the problem and the trial, what's going to happen? That's when you're going to begin to worry. That's when anxiety and discouragement, depression sinks in. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, he's the one who will bring peace and joy even during the dark nights. So you must fix your eyes on Jesus. When Mary began to worship Jesus, it was the disciples who struggled. They were confused. They, they had a problem. It, in the Gospel of John, it points specifically that it was Judas that was really upset. He said, we could have given all this money to the poor. But his motive was not to give money to the poor, but rather he was keeping the money. Shortly after this this story in the Bible, we see that Judas goes out and betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was not the object of Judas's worship. Money was, and it cost him his life. So we have to answer, why do we worship? Who do we worship? Third question when we look at Mary was, what was the cost of her worship? Because it cost her a lot. You see, the ointment, the, the expensive perfume would have been in a small container like this. And it was so expensive because this ointment came from northern India from a pure nard. The nard would have been extracted from this plant that would have been high up in the mountains on the Himalayas. It would have cost a lot to get this ointment and to bring it back, but it was used for ointment and perfume for very special occasions. The worth of this ointment was about 300 denarii. In today's economy, it would have been about $54,000, equivalent to about a, a one-year salary. Imagine all the money that you make in one year put into one flask and poured out on Jesus' feet. 
It cost her a lot. It cost her a lot. When is the last time your worship was costly? When is the last time you gave the Lord a sacrificial gift, an offering, a praise, where your pride was sacrificed, where it cost you much? Is your worship costly? The final question is how did she worship? Surely she could have kept this all inside and maybe worshiped Jesus privately, but no, her worship was public. It was demonstrative. It was extravagant. It was costly. This affectionate worship came from an inner devotion. Isaiah and Jesus says, don't worship me with your lips if your hearts are far from me. Because if your hearts are far from me, if you're not right with God, then the worship, the singing is just hypocritical. Jesus says, let it come from the heart. Let it come, your worship, from a heart and then from your lips. But, but let it be extravagant. Her worship was physical. It was a demonstrative expression of love and gratitude. As she bowed down and she poured this, this ointment on Jesus' feet. And some accounts in the gospel say that she used her hair and she, she anointed his head. She poured out this, this perfume on Jesus' body. In the Old Testament, Sacrifices were very physical. It was costly. It was demonstrative. It was the sacrifices of, of animals and produce. In the New Testament, it says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice of worship. Hebrews 13 says, let's offer Jesus a sacrifice of praise. So when it comes to worship, we can worship the Lord through our work, through our lives. We worship him through our giving, through our serving, we worship him through singing. We spend time together, don't we? We sing songs of praise and worship to the Lord. But let's spend some time here discussing why and, and some of the basics of worship. Since we spend so much time singing, let's make the most of understanding why. Why do we worship the way that we do? Why do we raise our hands? Why do we shout? Why do we use instruments? You're going to discover that it is more than just cultural. It's biblical. It's biblical. You may come from a church that taught you not to do that. Or you may have just a personality that says, I'm just more introverted and I'm reserved. Or I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like worshiping. And I would ask you, do you care more about the faith tradition you grew up in than what the Bible actually says? Because passionate and demonstrative worship is obeying God. We are commanded in scripture. It's something that we don't have to do. It shouldn't be burdens. It should, it, be, it should be something that we get to do because Jesus is worthy of worship. And so even beyond emotions and beyond uh, our backgrounds, what is worship? Worship in its simplicity is expressing love and gratitude to God. That's all it is. It's expressing passionate love to the Lord, expressing gratitude to him. As the human beings, we are designed to glorify God. That's our chief purpose. We are created, designed to glorify God in all that we do. In all that we, in all who we are, we are designed to glorify God. Now, ladies, oftentimes you will communicate through your words. Guys often communicate and express through actions. And the good thing about worship is it's both. It's both through our words and our actions that we praise and worship the Lord. And so as we dive into scripture, uh, I'm gonna encourage, it, worship can't be forced, 
but I'm going to push on you a little bit. I'm going to encourage you, okay? I want to stretch you, no matter what your faith tradition or your background is, because I want us to worship the way the Bible intends us. I want us to be a church family that passionately worships the Lord. So if you want to be challenged to grow spiritually, if you want to be stretched, then Gateway Fellowship Church is your home, all right? Because you may say, I don't want to be expressive. I, I just want to worship God in my, my, my heart and in privacy. I don't want anybody to look at me. And, and, and then there's times that where that's okay. But there's more times in scripture that we are encouraged to publicly and, demonstrative, to, and, and in a demonstrative way worship the Lord. Psalm 35, verse 9 says, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones. How many bones? All my bones say, Lord, who is like you? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. With everything that we are, we are to worship the Lord. We want to sing praise to God passionately with our whole mind, with our whole of our body, with all of our mind, everything that we have. And I get it. There's times where I'm here and I may not feel like worshiping God. I may not feel like singing. There are times, right? You may not ever just feel like giving or tithing. You may not feel like serving. You may not feel like making disciples in a, in a small group. But I promise you, by faith, you will please God. And when you understand that your actions of worship please God, grow yourself spiritually, because we're not led by emotions, right? We are led by faith. When you know that your worship pleases God, grows you spiritually, and helps others, then you see the value. You see how much it is worth it, and God is worth it. He responds to our steps of faith. Jesus says this account, what Mary did in that Bethany, that small town of Bethany in the house of, of Simon, he said it would echo for generations. It's in every count of the Gospels. And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about it. Jesus, what he said, came true. He, 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 he respected, he was moved by her, her steps of faith and worship. And so how do we worship when we're together? We do it primarily three ways. We first do it through singing, right? We sing. Psalm 47, six says, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. Psalm 149, verse one says, praise the Lord, sing a new song to the Lord and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Every single one of us have been given, us, given an instrument, a wind instrument to glorify God. And the good news is that wind instrument does not have to sound good to please God. How many of you can raise your hand with me and you know your wind instrument just doesn't sound good? The ones that do sound good, they're up on the stage leading us, right? Right, But we still, it doesn't matter if they sound good or not, we are to use them to worship the Lord. We are to sing in private. We are to sing in public when we come together. But I want to encourage you. Some of you, when you sing, you look so miserable when you do it. I want to encourage you, if you got, especially when we sing songs of praise, that we should have a smile. It should come from joy. Yes, there are times when it's intimate worship and there's consecration and it's more serious, but come on, when we, when we start together and we're singing songs of praise and we're in God's praise, let's have expectation. Let's believe who God is and what he's done in our lives and we should have so much excitement and joy. Let's smile, let's communicate to our faith that we believe, to our face what we believe inwardly, all right? The Bible says in Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So singing is a big part of our time together. This is why we want to sing to God. But here's a a very interesting verse about singing. Notice who is singing in this passage of Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with what? With singing. Isn't that beautiful that God looks over you with his love, that God sings over you, that God is moved, that he covers you, he loves you, he sings. And this is why we should sing to him. We should express passionately. And it's okay that when we sing, whether you sing good or bad, to sing, sing out loud, sing loudly. This is why we have a sound system. It'll cover up some of the bad singing. (laughs) And did you know that medical science proves that when you sing, it will calm anxieties, calms fears. It has a way of bringing peace. Did you know that? That God designed singing as a form of worship to help us. Here's another thing that we do. We sing, but we also use our hands to worship the Lord. The Bible says that in Psalm 47.1, oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. So we clap our hands, but we also raise our hands, right? Why do we raise our hands? Well, 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Psalm 63.4 says, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I wanna propose three reasons why you should lift up your hands when you sing and when you worship the Lord. First, you should do this in in a celebration, right? Intuitively, naturally, in many settings, when you celebrate, we, we lift up our hands, right? Like if you've ever watched a golf tournament and someone hit a long putt to win a tournament, you watch everybody in the gallery, what do they do? Including the guy who made the putt. They all lift up their hands in celebration. If you go to the AT&T Center, right, we're watching the Spurs, and they're down by one, and they make a shot at the buzzer and make the shot, what is everybody going to do? Everybody's going to lift up hands, right? They're going to lift up hands in celebration. And we should do this. When we come together, we have a lot to celebrate, right? Our God is victorious. Jesus is victorious. If we're on his side, then we are victorious as well. We should be excited. We should be celebrating. We're winning. We know how the the story ends, and we should celebrate. Another reason why we should lift up hands is that we do this to testify. If if you've ever been in in a court and someone was called to the witness stand, they, they swear, right, that what they say is true, and they put one hand maybe on the Bible, and they swear an oath that what they say is true, and they lift up one other hand. They're testifying with their words and actions that this is true. And this is what we do, that we testify. How many of you, by lifting up your hand, you believe that God is good? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you believe that your name is in the Lamb's book of life? You raise your hand. How many of you believe that God has saved you, set you free, forgiven you, healed you? That we testify, we lift our hands that this is true. We do this because we know it to be true. Nehemiah chapter 8 says that they brought the word of God in and they read the word of God. And in response, all the people lifted their hands and said, Amen. 
I want to encourage you from, from the teachers in the house that when we teach here, it's okay for, for you to, to call back to us a little bit. If you want to raise your hand, testify this is true. If you want to say amen, that's okay. Again, we have a sound system. It's all right, all right? So it's okay to be a little lively and be passionate. But let's lift up our, our hands to testify that it's true. How many of you are parents? You've got young children. Or you remember when your children were young? You know when your kids are real little, like two and three years old, and they, they come to you and they just they lift up their hands to you? What are they saying? They say, hold me, pick me up. And so what do you do? You, you pick them up, and then they hug you, and you hold them tight. That's a moment, isn't it? Isn't that a great moment? I imagine that when we come together and we worship the Lord, our Father in heaven is looking at, our kid, looking at his kids, and he just, oh, he just, like, just wants to wrap us up in his arms and, and love us. We, we, we lift up our hands. We also lift up our hands to surrender, right? If, if, if you were in a bad part of town, someone came up to you, put a gun to your back, you're like, all right, whatever I have, you know, it's not worth dying about, so you know, it's yours. When we come in the presence of the Lord, we should say, God, I give you my body as a, as a living sacrifice, everything. Nothing is exempt. Every area of my life submitted to you. I surrender to you. I worship you. I worship you. And this is why we should express our hearts and our hands through, through lifting up our hands. And, and some of you, you may not be comfortable. It may not be your personality, or you may not have never been taught this, or you're new to church. Baby steps, right? When you start, I just want to encourage you. You don't have to start full. Start down here. It's good, right? We call this carry the TV, <laughs> carry the TV. And then you, when you get, when you move on to the next step, it's like, it's, it's rock the baby, right? Just, just rock the baby and then touch down, then full blown. All right. So you just <laughs> gradually get there, right? And the great thing about lifting our hands is you're worshiping the Lord and you get a good, get a good workout in, right? Like, man, Chris, I, I want all the men in our church, like, we're known, like, when people see us in the community, they're like, man, look at his shoulders. They are jacked. He must go to Gateway Fellowship Church. <laughs> okay, so we worship God through singing. We worship God with, with our hands. We also worship God with, with instruments, with instruments. The Bible says so, right? Psalm 150, verse 4, praise him with timbrel, or the tambourine, and dance, Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Why would we use instruments in almost any other kind of setting or celebration, or, but not with the Lord? God wants us to use the instruments to, to, to create beautiful sounds and rhythm to worship God. Now, I, I want to encourage us. I, I really want us to lean to be more passionate in our worship with the Lord, to be more demonstrative. I'd rather us... Uh, have to have moments of correction than, than trying to just uh, being dead in our worship. Because a church that looks dead is probably dead. A church that looks alive is, is alive. But for those of you who are more conservative, you're right. Scripture does say in 1 Corinthians 14, do everything in church. When you gather together in worship, let it be done in order, right? I don't want to let my passion for the Lord distract others from God. So can I present to you a few house rules? Would that be okay when it comes to our worship? All right. Move to the beat, but stay in your seat. All right. No dancing up and down the aisle, please. If you want to dance, dance kind of where you're at, please. That would be great. Here's another one. When the music is soft, don't shout. All right. If you can't keep a beat, don't clap. All right. And no instruments 
other than the ones on the stage, all right? No matter how much Bill Taylor wants me to bring more tambourine. No, 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 you can't clap. It's, it's only blessed when Rav gives approval here on stage, all right? So no, no, no bringing your tambourines, no shofars, no flags. Some of you are like, what, what are you talking about? Shofar, flags. If you know, you know. And if you don't know, I hope you never do. <laughs> but I don't want us to be distracting. But, but can I encourage you? I'd rather us be, still be passionate and, because God is worthy of our praise. And we, if you don't know what to do, I encourage you just to, to watch the worship team when they're on stage. They're modeling for us. Do what they do. Be passionate in your worship for the Lord. Be passionate. Let's create a culture that, that we give God our very best. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. And if you don't want to be distracted, then you can close your eyes. Think about Jesus. Fix your eyes, on your spiritual eyes, on Jesus. He's worthy of worship. And no matter what kind of day you've had, no matter what battle you're in, when you worship the Lord, the Lord has a way of just, when we honor him and worship him, when things aren't going good, like when Paul and Silas were in jail and they sang praises to God, it was in that moment of praise and worship that God delivered them. God sees those steps of faith. He sees those demonstrations of worship and faith when you go above and beyond, when you kneel, when you bow, when you don't feel like it, but you're praising the Lord. He sees that and oftentimes your miracle is found in your worship. So praise the Lord in faith. I wanna encourage you to worship him because he's worthy of your worship. Will you stand to your feet? Doctors will say that when our bodies are experiencing great trauma, especially right before death, that of our five senses, sight, hearing, it's the, the sense of smell is the last thing that goes. So I wonder, after Mary anointed Jesus' head and his feet, when he went through the greatest agony, Hebrews says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him that if the residue of her, her perfume was still with him, that he was still smelling that through the, the stripes on his back and the nails in his hand as he hung on that cross for hours because of his great love for you, was he smelling the perfume and remembering Mary, remembering how she was set free from the demons that he healed her of, remembering that he was saving her, and, and not just Mary, but every single one of us. Like he was remembering, he was going, it's worth it. It's worth it. The smell of the perfume, the, wor the worship that she gave was worth it to him to the very end. Is he worth it to you? Is he worth it to you? Would you close your eyes? Would you remember the Lord right now? Just, re just think of Jesus. Think of him through our, all the moments that we've had through our journey through Matthew. His teachings, his, his baptism, his healings. Think of him on the cross. Think of him in the tomb. Think of him resurrected from the dead. Think about that moment where he saved you, the moment where he's delivered you, forgiven you, healed you. Is your heart now full of gratitude? Just in your own words right now, would you express that out loud? Would you express your love and gratitude to the Lord? Father, we thank you. 
We worship you. You are the King of kings. You are our Father in heaven. We honor you. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We worship you. As a church, we worship you, Jesus.